0: All right, so here's the second welcome for you guys in here already. And if you're, you're watching, um, welcome. Um, let me just kind of give a few updates on, on kind of things that are going on. There, there are a lot of things uh, church family-wise that, that we need to uh, keep, keep in mind, I guess, as we continue forward. And so I just want to give a few updates first. Thank you for last week. So for Dave Bounds, um, who came and preached, and then Robert and, and Philip, and Joey, um, always for, for it, was, it was helpful for me to just not even think about it. I didn't even watch the service, Jansen and I were away, and um, that was that was it was encouraging for me not to even worry about. It. So, thank you for everyone that, that filled in and and um, yeah, helped last week go smoothly. Um, yeah, a, a few more things so updates kind of on prayer requests. So, the thorns, um, still pray for Hoagie and Cindy, still pray that they'll they'll have an opportunity to go visit Jason. He is. Uh, it's kind of like there there's some positive progression but then there's some um lack of progression that that isn't positive and so he he doesn't he doesn't have the virus anymore but he, the hogan which is good but hogan and cindy still aren't able to to go visit him um, still no visitors and so just keep praying that they'll have a way to go see jason soon um he he uh I guess the the extent of his injury, specifically his, his brain injury no, they're not going to know until he's able to to kind of um come awake and, and not be every time they try and wake him up he's um, he, he's very irritable and um yeah it's just they, they can't they can't bring him out of his um, out of his sedated state so so, so it's just going to be time. Um, so, so pray for them. One good thing, and, and I know that they appreciate this, but the uh, the nurses there at that facility have been uh, a huge blessing to them. So we can thank God for that. Um, so keep praying for Jason Thorne and, and Hoogie and Cindy. Also pray for Frances Hartman. So I went and saw her a couple days ago. She's still in Centera. She was put back in for pneumonia. The pneumonia is pretty much gone, um, but she's, still, she's just very weak. So they gave her a feeding tube so that she could keep getting some of her... Um, the, the things she needs. Um, so, so pray for her recovery of strength. Um, her, her daughters are hoping that she's gonna be able to go to a rehab place after and not just go free, straight from Sentara back home. And so we can pray for that. Uh, one, one encouraging thing, so if you know Francis, this, you'll, this will make sense to you. But every time I go see her, she says, I'm ready. Whenever the Lord wants to take me, I'm ready. Um, and so that we, we shouldn't take that for granted. So she is, she's ready to, uh, to be with the Lord. But um, Yeah, so we need to keep praying for Francis. Joan Campbell, pray for her. She's still continuing to recover from her shoulder uh, injury and so she's having to to rest and be very still and so she has bad days. Um, So just pray for her, a continued recovery for her and her her shoulder. Um, And then the last thing, uh, uh, just specifics about Jean Felberg's um, memorial service, it's gonna be this Saturday. So August 1st, we're going to do it outside. Um, It's going to be at 9.30 in the morning. We're going to be over here just off the parking lot with chairs set up in the shade Um, so so we decided to do that to try and get as many people as wanted to to help people feel more comfortable it's going to be a very abbreviated service Um, so we're going to be uh, conscious of the weather we'll have this building open with with AC on and we may even have a spot where if you just want to sit in your car you can we're we're still working out the details but it's going to be this Saturday at 930 here at the church Um, and like I said it's going to be abbreviated we'll send out a phone tree and an email um, this week about that um, so that, that's that's kind of the updates. Um, thank you all for praying for those things. Continue to, if you have relationships with these individuals, call on them, check on them. Uh, remember, remember Pat uh, Packard. Continue to pray for her um, and and call her and, and check in on her. Um, but as we begin, I'm going to read from Psalm 56 before I pray for these things, um, and then we will we'll look at a the the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But but let's read Psalm 56. Uh, You can follow along as I read, or you can listen as I read here at the outset. So Psalm 56. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long, they endure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps, and they have waited for my life. For their crime, will they escape? In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God, I trust I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God, I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life let's let 's pray together uh, as we begin God in in this psalm we are we are faced with the reality that that you are trustworthy. And so the refrain over and over, the psalmist says that I will trust in you and will not be afraid. And so we just want to confess that in, in this world, in these circumstances, we are, we are tempted to be afraid. And so we, we are thankful to be reminded by the psalmist that our fear can be conquered by a trust in you. And so we, we want to trust you, we confess for not trusting you as much as we ought. And so we ask that you'd help us to trust you. You are a rock, a refuge, a sure source of strength in the midst of uncertainty and fear. And so we want to trust in you. And Lord, we, we take comfort from this Psalm as it declares that you are aware of our tears. Some in our church family have been crying many tears of, of loss or, or of, of suffering, of pain. Uh, and so Lord, we take great comfort in knowing that, that you are aware of our tears and our hurts uh, that, that any of our experiences, Lord, none of them are lost to you. And so we, we are comforted knowing that, that you are with us and you're aware and, and you know, you know what we go through. Um, and Lord, we, we want to confess that you are for us because of Christ, because you sent him for us and you, you made a satisfaction for the debt that we owed and you have received us as sons and daughters. We know that with him, you will freely give us all things. And so we know that you are for us and that all things are working together for our good, and so we take great comfort and hope in the fact that, that you are for us and nothing, flesh man can do nothing to us uh, because you are for us. And so help us to walk before you, help us to live our lives uh, in, in light of you, help us to live Godward lives, lives centered on you. I pray that your kingdom, that your will uh, would be the driving force that we would wake up every day seeking to honor you with, with what is before us that day. And so we just, uh, we, we ask you to help us in that. And all these all these things that we've just mentioned with the thorns, we pray for, for Jason, a continued recovery. And uh, we pray that you would open a way for Cindy and Hoagie to, to get to see him soon. And we do pray that the extent of his, of his injury would be minimal. Um, and so we pray for his, his recovery. We pray for Francis, help her, continue to help her recover. We do pray for an opening at a rehab facility. I pray for her daughters, for Eunice and Pam and Cindy, give them strength. Um, we pray for Joan and, and Courtney as she cares for her, and, and her boys. Um, just pray for Joan, Lord, give her hope in the midst of of these trying times. Um, and then, Lord, we pray for the the service for Jean on Saturday. Lord, we do pray that the weather would cooperate, that it wouldn't be too hot. But Lord, that that your servant who is is with you now would be well remembered and honored, um, and that we as a church body would would just properly give thanks for her and the gift that she was to us. Um, And so Lord, we, we ask all these things in Christ's name, amen. All right, well, so what we're gonna do, we are near the end of our Holy Spirit series. Um, and so this is the 13th week that we're going to be, be looking at the Holy Spirit. And this week, um, I mentioned two weeks ago that, that we, we were at, focusing on an, kind of an individual experience of the Holy Spirit and, and how he works in our lives individually as Christians. And, and we spent a long time on him as the source of transform, transformation. And he's the one who transforms us. And then, then two weeks ago, uh, we kind of shifted to a, a more corporate Um, work of the spirit and 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 that sermon two weeks ago we focused on the spirit as a source of unity that that the spirit ensures and and guarantees the unity of god's people and so this week and next week lord willing we're going to going to spend two weeks looking at at how the spirit gifts the church or gifts god's people and so we're going to look at spiritual gifts Um, And and so I intentionally, in this series, I I kept this for the very end for a very specific purpose because oftentimes when we hear about the Holy Spirit in a a sermon series on the Holy Spirit, we, we tend to think immediately of gifts And gifts are important, and and hopefully you'll see this week and next week, spiritual gifts are a significant part of the Christian life, but there's much more to the work of the Spirit than gifts. And so I've put gifts all all the way at the end because I want you to know, there's 12 weeks prior to gifts that that we should know about, that we should rejoice in and give thanks for the the work of the Spirit in our lives. Uh, But the the Spirit does give gifts, and so I want us to look at, at that this week and next week. Maybe there'll be a third week, but I think we can get it covered in... In two weeks. And so, the outline for this morning, is, as we kind of work through spiritual gifts, we're going to look at uh, first, we're going to look at a definition. So, so, I'm going to lay out a definition of spiritual gifts. Um, and then second, we'll look at two illustrations. And so we'll get two, two passages in scripture that serve as I think helpful illustrations for us and how, how gifts in the body work. Uh, and then third, we'll look at three fundamental implications. Okay, so, so I've, I've numbered the points with, with, with the same number. So one definition, two illustrations, three implications. And so that's what we'll work through um, this morning. And so first we'll begin with a definition. So a definition of spiritual gifts. Now what I want to do is before kind of giving you the definition, I'm going to just lay out a, I call them pieces. So there's three pieces that I just want to show you from the New Testament, from scripture, to help us think about spiritual gifts. Okay, and as we put these pieces together, we then will have a, a, a I don't know, an understandable definition, but I wanna just focus on these pieces. And so I'm gonna be referencing a lot of, a lot of um, passages and verses. Um, you can write them down. I don't have them on the screen, but, but just know that 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 are the two chapters that, that a lot of these are coming from. These are uh, 1 Corinthians is probably the most significant book when it comes to understanding spiritual gifts, but especially those chapters, chapters 12 and 14. Okay, so I'm just gonna say at the outset, um, that you can just go read those two chapters and, and get, a, get a good feel for how Paul understands spiritual gifts. Um, but, but so first, piece one, okay? The, the first point or the first part of our definition is gonna be that, that all spiritual gifts are spiritual, right? That may be redundant, but all spiritual gifts are spiritual. Another way of putting that is that the Holy Spirit is the source of all spiritual gifts, Okay, so he is the source. So when I say they're spiritual, that's what I mean. They, they come from him. So 1 Corinthians 12, 1. now concerning spiritual gifts. Okay, so that's, that's, the, that's the term that Paul uses, spiritual gifts, Brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed, or 1 Corinthians 12, seven, a few verses down. He says, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit. Okay, so, so in this context of gifts, he, he refers the second time as gifts as a manifestation of the spirit. Okay, so, the, so they're spiritual. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse one, uh, he, Paul calls the Christians to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Okay, again, spiritual is the, is the, is the adjective that describes the gifts. They're spiritual, Or later in in 1 Corinthians 14, 12, with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel. Okay, so again, gifts, spiritual gifts, and manifestations of the Spirit. In all these cases, they're all different Greek terms, but they all are used by Paul in in these contexts to communicate the same idea. Namely, that the Holy Spirit is the source of all spiritual gifts. All these verses stress the, the spirituality of the gifts. Now, an implication of this is, is, is right at the outset to, to understand that all spiritual gifts are supernatural. And so, so if I'm saying that, that the Holy Spirit is the source of every spiritual gift, every spiritual gift is supernatural. Right? So, so in one sense, every spiritual gift... Is supernatural because they are sourced by the Spirit Himself. And so next week, Lord willing, as we look at kind of the specific list of spiritual gifts, right, when we read these lists in the New Testament, we, we tend to fall into the temptation of thinking, oh well, well, if I had that gift, I would be really supernatural. Or oh, wow, that, that is a super spiritually mature person who has that gift. Right? Well, well, that's wrong. That is a, a faulty way of thinking because every spiritual gift, all spiritual gifts are supernatural. The Holy Spirit is equally the source of each and every spiritual gift. And he, as the third person of the divine trinity, he grants supernatural gifts, okay? So all gifts are spiritual, that's piece one. Piece two, second piece of our definition, all spiritual gifts are gifts, okay? All spiritual gifts are gifts, Okay, so again, 1 Corinthians 12. Now there are varieties of gifts, okay? There, there's, there's multiple gifts, but, but they're gifts, Paul says. 1 Corinthians 12, 31. Listen to how he, he runs through this list. And these are rhetorical questions that he's asking. He's saying, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? Right, so there's his rhetorical questions. The answer is obviously no, not all do this. And he says, verse 31, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Okay, so in this context of spiritual gifts, right, he refers to them as, as the, the gifts, as, as higher gifts. Um, they are given by the Holy Spirit. The, the other passage that, that I want you to, to, to hear is Ephesians 4 and so I'm going to read these verses, but, but listen how he, how he defines or how he understands spiritual gifts. So this is Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Here's how. Verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He continues, there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's over all and through all and in all. Verse seven, so there's the unity, there's a oneness. Verse seven, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says he ascended on high. He, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Okay, so in this context of spiritual gifts, Paul says, but grace was given. And so Paul understands the reception of spiritual gifts as a reception of grace. And so so they are supernatural gifts from the Spirit. And here in Ephesians 4. Paul connects the giving of gifts with the ascension of Christ. Did you notice that in verse eight? He says, grace was given to each one according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so it's Christ's gift that then is given to each one of us. And then he quotes the the passage, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And so he he connects the, the ascension of Jesus with the giving of gifts. And so so on this, on this connection, one, one author, Sinclair Ferguson, notes, the correlation between the descent of Christ and the descent of the Spirit signals that the gifts of the Spirit serve as the external manifestation of the triumph and the enthronement of Christ. Okay, so there's a connection. The ascension of Christ and the giving of the Spirit, so so the gifts of the Spirit are the external manifestation that Christ has been raised and has ascended and is seated on his throne. And so the outpouring of these gifts, Ferguson continues, outpouring of these gifts of the Spirit marks the downfall of Christ's enemies and the beginning of the building of the church. And so the resurrection and and ascension of Christ was necessary for not only the ascending of the Spirit, but also the, the giving of spiritual gifts. And so if Christ was not raised, if Christ does not ascend into heaven, there would be no spirit and there would be no spiritual gifts. But Christ did rise and he did ascend and that ascension, according to Paul, in this Ephesians 4, 8 verse, is an ascension of victory. And so so the resurrected and ascended Christ his victory is seen in his distribution of gifts. And so if you think about the, the victorious emperor, and so you have the Roman emperor who, who goes on this, on this uh, war campaign and he conquers the, these many, many cities. And as he comes back, right, there's this procession of victory. And, and all of the, the, the capital city, they've gathered and it's a parade and they're celebrating the victory of their emperor. And and how he shows his, his care for his people as he showers them with gifts. The the gifts are the external manifestation manifestation of we just conquered people and I'm I'm giving you gifts out of my victory. And so the gifts are given. And so for our purposes here, Paul understands the given gifts as as the result of the victory of Christ. And so Christ, by his spirit, gives these gifts. The Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts He's the one, and he not only gives them, but he also decides who gets what. It's not as though it's a helicopter drop and says, okay, who wants what? No, he says, okay, you're getting this one, you're getting this one. So, so 1 Corinthians 12, 11. All these are empowered by one in the same spirit, and that spirit, Paul continues, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So the spirit apportions to each member, each Christian as he wills. And so the gifts that he gives are very specific. Or later in First Corinthians 12, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Okay, and so, so the spirit graciously gives gifts as he sees fit, as he decides, as he, as he wills. Okay, so that's our two, first two pieces. Spiritual gifts are, are spiritual. They're given by the Spirit. Spiritual gifts are gifts given by the Spirit. So they're spiritual and they're gifts. Our third piece is that they're given by the Spirit for the good of the church. Okay, so that's the third piece. Spiritual gifts are given by the Spirit for the good of the church. We, we have to recognize that not, no spiritual gift is ever given primarily for the good of the individual. It is always for the common good that Christians are gifted. It's for the good of the body. And so, for instance, I mentioned 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. In between those two, do you know what comes between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14? Right, math lesson 13. Right? But, but do you know what 1 Corinthians 13 is? It's the love chapter. And it's between this this massive discussion on spiritual gifts and it's not coincidental that the love chapter falls right in between this discussion because Paul's point is any use of any spiritual gift that's not motivated by love for others, it's useless. And it's useless because the whole point of God gifting each member is for the good of the church. And so every spiritual gift is to be used in an others-focused way. It's always about the benefit of the body for the building up of the church. Spiritual gifts are never about the magnification of the individual who possesses it, which apparently was the problem in Corinth. They wanted the best gifts, but there's no love. They they had a desire to have gifts, but it was grounded in, in them wanting to look good. They wanted to have them so they could be better than everyone else. They wanted the gifts to be the focus of attention. They wanted the best for selfish reasons, which is why Paul would say, hey, since you're eager for manifestation of the spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. You you wanna be the best? Here's what you'd be the best at. You'd be the best at building up the church, because that's the very point of the spiritual gifts, each and every one of them. And so every spiritual gift is for the good of the church. The cure for a selfish pursuit of spiritual gifts is a recognition that each and every gift is given specifically by God himself, for the good of others, to build up the church. And so so these are kind of our our three main pieces, that that the spirit is the source of every gift, that he gives every gift, and that every gift is to be used for the good of the body. And so now we we can look at our definition, which it's not original to me, but this is the, the most comprehensive, simple definition of spiritual gifts that I've come across, um, and so here, here is the definition. It's by a, a guy named, a pastor named Tom Schreiner, and, and he has a little book, a great book. I'd be happy to, to give it to you on spiritual gifts, but here's his definition. He says, spiritual gifts are, quote, gifts of grace granted by the Holy Spirit, which are designed for the edification of the church. Gifts of grace granted by the Holy Spirit, which are designed for the edification of the church. Now this definition is helpful because all three pieces are there. They're gifts, right, that's piece two, granted by the Holy Spirit, that's piece one, which are designed for the edification of the church. That's piece three. Okay, so that's our definition. That's what we're gonna be working through this week and next week. Gifts of grace granted by the Holy Spirit, which are designed for the edification of the church. Let, let's look now, having, having established kind of that definition and putting those pieces together, let's look at two illustrations that, that, that give us a picture of how this works. And, and both these illustrations come from Scripture. And, and I, I'm just going to mention these two because these two will, I think, help shape and instruct our thinking about how gifts function in the church. Okay, so the first one comes from 1 Corinthians 12, and you've probably heard this before. I'm gonna read this, this passage. It's a little lengthy, but just listen to the illustration that Paul uses to, to convey the idea of spiritual gifts. He uses the, the illustration of the human body. Okay, so that's the first illustration is the human body. And listen how the Apostle Paul compares the human body to the body of Christ, specifically with, with members and gifts. So this is 1 Corinthians 12. Chapter 12, I'm going to begin reading in verse 12, and notice how he, how he makes this illustration. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And so he paints this picture of what the, the body, the human body in the body of Christ, how, how they're similar. He uses the human body to illustrate how the body of Christ functions. And so the, the, the few similarities he makes, he, he makes first that there's unity in diversity. so this idea that, that many parts make up one whole. So just like you and I have many members that make up our one body, whether it's our hands, our feet, our eyes, our toes, our ears, all of these are, are unique and individual parts, yet they all, even though they're, they're very diverse, they all together form one body. There's diversity, but there's unity in the diversity. Paul says this is exactly how it is in the body of Christ, how the church works. We all, he says, were individually baptized by one spirit into one body. And so Paul says that we all, even though we're all very diverse, together form one body. And so he says that there's unity in the diversity. So many members, unique and distinct individuals make up the one body. But he also says, not only is there unity in diversity, he also makes the point that there's equality in diversity. Not only is every member unique and intentionally unique, every member, no matter how big or small, no matter how seemingly significant or insignificant, every member, Paul says, is equally part of the body. Just because the foot is not like the hand and just because the ear is not an eye, just because there's diversity doesn't mean that the foot and the ear are not part of the body. Both the foot and the hand, the ear and the eye, though different, they're all part equally of the body. And because all are part of the body, all have a part to play, a significant part, a necessary part to play. Because as Paul, Paul says in verse 18, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And so no matter how, how large or small your part or your gift appears, it is an equally necessary part of the body. And the last point that, that Paul makes in terms of comparing the human body to the body of Christ is this, this idea of this mutual dependence. Just like the one body is dependent on the function of every individual part, just like every body suffers when, when one body part is injured or removed, so the body of Christ, every member needs every other member. There is a, there's mutual dependence among every part. And, and so if you've ever sprained an ankle or had surgery on a hand or, or you had your hip replaced, You know what it's like to have a member not fully functioning. The whole body suffers. You have to rest, or you have to take medicine, you have to nurse that part back to health. And the whole body suffers. I mean, some of you are losing your hearing, or you're having continual problems with your eyes, or your kidneys are not working properly. And in all of these cases, your entire body feels the weight of that one member not playing its part. It's dependent, each member is dependent on the other to do its part. And Paul says that's how it is with the body of Christ. We all are made and created and gifted to function in specific ways and every single member needs every single other member to function in its role. There's a dependence. Now what we'll, we'll draw a few implications in, in a minute but let me, let me move quickly to our next our second illustration, so Paul uses the body, the human body in 1 Corinthians 12, which I'm sure you've heard before, but I want to draw your attention to a second illustration, which maybe you haven't heard before, but, but I think this is also a helpful illustration for spiritual gifts because it highlights specifically the purpose of the gifts in building the church. And so Exodus 31 I'm gonna read verses one through 11 of Exodus 31, and I want you to listen and see if you can guess why I think this is a good illustration. So this is Exodus 31. when in an Old Testament context. And so Moses and the Israelites, they, they've, been, they've been delivered from Egypt, and now they're kind of in the wilderness. And so notice the instructions that they're not on the move anymore. Uh, and so in Exodus 31, notice the instructions that the Lord gives to the Israelites through Moses. So Exodus 31, beginning of verse one, the Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I've commanded you, the tent of meaning and the ark of testimony and the mercy seat that's upon it and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, the pure lampstand with all its utensils and the altar of incense. And he goes on and on and on and the anointing oil and the fragrance incense for the holy place. According to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. And so in this Old Testament context, when you, when you have Moses and the Israelites that are constructing this tent, this tabernacle, not only does the Lord command them with very specific regulations and specifications, have so you ever read through, through some of these Old Testament passages, it's very specific of, of the width and the height and the material, they're, they're very intricate designs. And so the Lord not only tells them, here's how you're gonna, going to construct the, the place where I'm gonna dwell among you, he also clearly calls and equips Two men, Bezalel and Ohiliab, Ohiliab. And these two men, they're filled with intelligence and ability and knowledge and craftsmanship. But most specifically, it's stated that they are filled with the spirit of God. So, so here is, here's the first case of spiritual gifts. The Spirit of God is given to these two men. Why these two men, we we don't know, but these two men are given the gift of the Spirit so that they can construct the tabernacle the way that God commands it to be instructed, or constructed. And then later in Exodus 35, It's repeated that these men are filled with the Spirit of God, but it also says that the Lord inspired them to teach. So they they were filled with the Spirit, and then they were enabled and inspired to help others to help them in the construction of this temple, of the tabernacle, the tent. And so we have this illustration where where this tabernacle, this the dwelling place of the Lord among his people, must be built, it must be established according to some very specific standards and instead of leaving it to chance, the very one who devised the standards, God himself, also equips specific people for the specific task. And this is why I think the tabernacle building plan serves as a helpful illustration for us because as we transition to the New Testament, the temple idea is still there but but it's not the physical place like it was in the Old Testament. The temple the household of God is not, not a place, but it's a people. And it's so like in Ephesians 2, Paul's talking about kind of the, this, this, this people, this one new race, Jews and Gentiles, and notice how he describes this one new, new per people. He describes them as members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and pro- prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, that language of house, being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God. The dwelling place for God. That, that's the temple, that's the tabernacle. And Paul says, the church is now being built together into a dwelling place for God. How? By the Spirit. That's Ephesians 2.22. Ephesians And so just as the Spirit of God specifically equipped these two Old Testament men for the specific task of of building the temple, so now in the New Testament, we all, every believer is like Bezalel or Ohiliab. I mean, not the best names, but that's who we are because we have been equipped by the Spirit for the building up of the church. And so just as those two men were, were specifically gifted for building the church Every spiritual gift is given for the building, the edification of the church. That's why I think it's a good illustration. The only purpose of these two men in receiving the spirit was to build the tabernacle. And we too have been given the spirit for the building of the church, the edification of the temple. And our failure to dedicate ourselves to the task of building up the church with our gifts is to squander God's gracious gifts and to neglect his gracious purposes for his church. Can you imagine these two men who are given the spirit and all these gifts for the purpose of building the tabernacle so that the, the people could worship and God would dwell among them if they said, actually, I, nah, it doesn't matter. I don't really care about the good of, of, of the tabernacle. It doesn't, doesn't matter to me if, if other people experience God's glory. Man, that, that's foolish. That would be a, a squandering of God's gracious gifts to them. So the same is true for us. We are given gifts for the specific purposes of building up the church. So let's let's look lastly at three fundamental implications. So three fundamental implications. Again, these are these are simple, they're basic. Right? So, so next week we're gonna look at maybe some more controversial issues when it when, when it comes to spiritual gifts. But here, these are these are fundamental implications from all that we've said thus far thus far. And there's just three of them, and then, then we'll be done. So first fundamental impl- implication. Every Christian has been gifted by the Holy Spirit. Every Christian has been gifted. We'll look at some more specific we'll look at some specific gifts next week, but the most basic implication for this week is that if you're a Christian, you've been gifted to serve, you've been gifted to build up and to love others. So if you're a Christian, you have been gifted and it's a supernatural gifting and it's an intentional gifting. With the reception of the Spirit, so when you become a Christian, you receive the Spirit. It's not a subsequent to salvation experience. When you become a Christian, you receive the Spirit fully and completely. And with the reception of the Spirit, you have also received spiritual gifts given specifically to you, unique gifts for you. Every Christian. Has been gifted the Holy Spirit. So there's no such thing as a Christian who's not fully received the Holy Spirit. Neither is there such thing as a Christian who's not been given spiritual gifts to serve the church. Being a Christian means being supernaturally gifted by the Holy Spirit. So if you're a Christian, you ought to simply know that you have a supernatural gift to use for the good of the church. You have been gifted. That's the first implication. Second implication every Christian has been specifically gifted by the Holy Spirit. So, so the diversity of gifts that, that is no coincidence. every body consists of specific body parts. Our, our human body is not randomly uh, put together. It's not just a, a random collaboration of, of different parts for different purposes. It is intentional, it's specific, and every member has a purpose. And so if you're a Christian, you have received a specific gift. And these gifts, your gift, the, whatever you have has been given to you according to the sovereign will of God. You don't get to choose. You receive it as a gift because every gift is given from a heart of love and from a heart overflowing with grace. And so God has given you what he's given you. And we know because of his commitment to his church, we, we can be assured that he doesn't make mistakes. He has, he has put each and every body together for specific purposes. You can trust that if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been specifically gifted by the Holy Spirit. And so, so there's no room for, for envy or jealousy. In fact, if you have young kids, maybe, maybe you've heard this phrase, I've heard this often. Uh, we, we tell it to our kids sometimes. You get what you get and you don't pitch a fit. Right, so if you if you know young kids, there's often complaining and, and pitching a fit. Well, I want that, all right. Whether it's Legos or or snacks or plates at dinner or or cereal bowls, whatever it is, there, there's the human tendency. I, I want to pitch a fit because I'm not getting what I want. Well, the principle here with spiritual gifts is you get what you get because God has graciously graciously given it given it to you, and so we receive it knowing that He has specifically designed us to function for the good of his body. There's no room for jealousy or envy or discontent. And If, if, I'm, if I'm envious or jealous of, of another member and another gift, I am saying God's wisdom and God's grace are not sufficient because I know what I need better than him. And that, that is not the proper place for the Christian. We recognize God gives these gifts specifically. He has made all of us unique in who we are and how we are put together third fundamental, final fundamental implication. Every Christian has been specifically gifted by the Holy Spirit for a specific context. So every Christian has been specifically gifted by the Holy Spirit, third implication for a specific context. Now this may be the most important implication uh, and, and it's so ingrained in the New Testament teaching on spiritual gifts that it's easy to miss or it's easy to at least take for granted but we, we, we simply recognize that the Holy Spirit gives gifts specifically to all Christians and he does so for the purpose of their functioning in a specific context. And so New Testament assumes that every gift is intended to function or to serve or to be active in a specific context. This is the point of the the body illustration. Each body is constructed with specific body parts. There's a connection between spirit-given gifts and participation in a body. In other words, to be a Christian, to be the recipient of a spiritual gift, which every Christian has, to be a recipient of the Holy Spirit and his gifts assumes that you are part of a body in which you can use and function with those gifts. You're given specific gifts to use in a specific body. Now you can agree with everything I've said thus far. You can agree the Spirit gives gifts to all Christians. Yes, you can agree that the Spirit uniquely gifts all Christians, but if you agree with all that, if you are not actively participating in a local church, if you're not actively serving and seeking to build up a particular local church, then you're proving you don't really get all of this. The only useful body parts are those that function. I mean, we, we, I won't do this, but we could do a, 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 a test case. Let, let me cut off your hand and, and leave it here at the church all week. And you tell me how beneficial that hand was to your body this week. When it's severed from a body, it doesn't function. It's useless. How good is a body part not attached and functioning and serving the body? How beneficial is a severed hand. What good is an eye that refuses to see or a stomach that refuses to function? The value of a body part cannot be realized apart from its function in the body. And so the value of a spiritual gift cannot be realized apart from its function within a particular context, within a local church. This is why we spent so long months ago on church membership, because church membership assumes functionality. If you're a member of a church, the assumption is you're gonna function in that church. This is why, why we don't we don't we don't accept the idea of a non-active member. That that's an oxymoron. Members are active. You can't have a non-active member. Church membership as- assumes functionality, church membership assumes participation, church membership assumes service. And I'm saying the same is true for understanding spiritual gifts. Possessing spiritual gifts assumes functionality. Possessing spiritual gifts assumes participation. Possessing a spiritual gift assumes service. A Christian is someone who by definition has received a supernatural gift from the Holy Spirit himself for the explicit purpose of using it in a context. And so if you're here, if you're here or if you're watching, if you're a member of Fox Hill Road Baptist Church, this local church is your context. God has gifted you to serve his body. And next week we'll look at what, that, what, what ways that might, what forms that may take. But this is your context if you're a member of this church. If you're a member of another church, that is your context. Whatever local church you, you unite together with, you, you join with, that is your context for exercising your gifts. That's, that's the context that you serve within. You've been given a gift to function with a part, within a particular context. And, and that's true of you, but it's also true of every other member of that local body. And so, so the, the flip side, which, which is sometimes neglected, a, as you function as part of the body, you are gifted to serve the body. Yes, that, that's one aspect, but also others in that body are gifted to serve you. That's how the body works. You serve, but you also get the benefit of being served. And that's why when, when I talk to someone who says, I, I, I'm sorry I haven't been at church. I, I've had a really hard time. Life, My husband got sick or, or my kid went through this or I had this diagnosis. So I'm sorry I've been away from church. I want to say, of course it's been a hard time because you are cutting yourself off from the sole source, the very source that God has put you as part of to help care for you and serve you in the midst of that suffering. You're part of a, a church or a local body to serve, but you're also there to be cared for and served. And so it's true to say and to think, I have a gift and I need to use it. I want all of you to, to be considering that, contemplating that. You have a gift and you need to use it. So, so determine where's your context. But it's also equally true to say that, that if you're part of a body, other members have been placed in that same body for the express purpose of serving you, which means you need them it's a two way street in fact a pastor a uh, well known pastor will often tell the story of uh, at his church there would be a, a gentleman that would come and he would he wouldn't sing and he'd just come for the sermon uh, he loved the the preacher he'd say, I love your sermons, it's great, but he'd never join the church and and he wouldn't come to any of the other stuff he'd just come for the the, the, the sermon part and through a conversation with this individual, he said, well, why, why don't you consider joining the church and, and participating in other things? He said, well, I don't, I don't need those other people. They're just gonna slow me down. I don't, I don't need the other Christians. They're gonna slow me down, which again, that, that reveals kind of a, a heart attitude there. But, but this pastor said, well, have you ever thought that maybe you would speed them up, right? So, so that, that's, that it goes both ways. Yes, you need to serve others, Others need to serve you. The, the body is dependent on each other. Every member is dependent on each member. And so, and so we end here today simply recognizing that, that God has graciously, for, from a heart of love and care and commitment to his church, he, he has granted us his spirit, and with his spirit has also gifted us unique gifts. And we have these gifts for the purpose of edifying the church. And so we, we all have been given, if you're a Christian, you've been given a gift of grace by the Holy Spirit, which is designed to be used by you for the edification, the building up of the church. And so next week, Lord willing, we're gonna look at some specifics of spiritual gifts. We'll look at the list and we'll begin to look at practically what, what might that look like. But, but that's the big picture. So let, let me close uh, as we pray this morning. Father, I thank you for the gift of your spirit, the, the one who, who causes us to be born again, who convicts us of sin, who transforms us into the image of Christ, the, the one who assures us of our, our sonship of, of your, as your children. Thank you for all the things that he does in our lives, but, but specifically, Lord, this morning, we thank you that your spirit has been given to us and has gifted us for the good of your body, the church. Thank you that you love your church, and that you intentionally appoint members in specific places for specific purposes. And so I pray for this church and for the other, the other local churches in our area that each member would, would find fulfillment and satisfaction in recognizing his or her gifts. And so I pray that our church, Fox Hill Road Baptist Church, would be filled with functioning members who, who are serving and caring for one another and building up the church. And so help us to do that. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.